defeating the radical left, the Marxists, the anarchists, the agitators, the looters, and people who in many instances have absolutely no clue what they are doing. Welcome back to The River in the Land. I'm here with Bilal Rafiq as always, pretty much always. And also here with our first ever guest on the River in the Land. I don't think I told you that oh. before now, but you're the very first. Paul Chislett, board member of the renew or newly reconstituted Windsor Workers Action Center, which will where that's what we're going to talk about is a little bit of of that and kind of what that organization does for the activist community here in Windsor and for workers here in Windsor and the history of it and all that. So hi, hi Paul, how you doing? I'm doing good, and I'm honored to be the first. First guest, that's something. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You and I have been friends for a few years, a long yeah. time now at this point, probably at least 10, 12 years, mm-hmm. not more than that. But uh, I remember I met you, obviously, I think through the WAC. I was a member of the local IWW branch, and uh, we did a lot of our stuff there. The, the WAC, the old WAC spot was on Polisher beside where the, uh, yeah. where Terracotta is now. Man, uh, I even forget the number. Yeah. Year. But yeah, Terracotta was almost next door. Their side of Terracotta. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, we, we it's were where there. the craft beer places. No, they've got the whole spot. Oh, they do. Yeah, they do have that spot now. Yeah, they have Yeah, both. they have like, it's like Craft Heads, the public one, then Terracotta, and then yeah. Craft Heads again. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, so that where Craft Heads again is. That right. was that was the Windsor Workers Action Center for many years. Yeah. Um, I, I think I, th- I just thought it was the IWW hangout spot. I don't think I necessarily, when we first started hanging out there, I didn't really know what the organization was or what it did. It was just like, that's where we went when we had rallies or that's where we went when we had meetings and like, you know, any of that kind of stuff. So I maybe guess the, the first question to ask you is what is the Windsor Workers Action Center? Well, maybe I'll start by what it was. It came out of the labor studies program when there was one at the university. Yeah, in, R.I.P. Uh, well, I moved here in 2007, so somewhere around 2006 or so, they were talking about, uh, and they'd had a conference just before I came here. They'd had a conference on worker issues and probably on the concept of worker centers. And then, so there was some fundraising. They put it into action. There was some fundraising, and then they opened the space on Polisure. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess I became involved probably... Uh, I was I was gone for the summer of 2008, so when I came back and then into 2009. And it was set up as a as an activist space, but also as a, because of the academics and the labor studies program. Dr. Alan Hall was the primary right. mover at the university. Mm-hmm. And so that was the idea of a, an activist space connecting the university to the community and to the worker community, and primarily workers that, you know, weren't union members. They were non non-union members, precarious work, mm-hmm. probably not aware of their rights and under the law and, you know, unable to maybe organize for whatever reason. Yeah. So, so this came out of the University of Windsor Labor Studies yeah. Department? Yeah. It was like the impetus for this? Yeah. And and then also an effort to connect with the community because, you know, I've probably all heard it of, uh, I'm not... I'm kind of in this weird space where I'm not an academic. I didn't even finish the degree I came here to do, and so on and so forth. But I'm, I'm, a, you know, a worker, and and I was involved in my union at the at the where I used to work, and so it was an effort to bring, you know, academics and the community and workers together in the same spot. And yeah. it, it, if you were unionized, it. It's not like we're excluding any workers, right. you know. Like but I, union workers have their own resources that they their can own resources, tap into. and then you know there is a, already a connection between uh, academia and labor unions, especially. And this is where I had a big foundational awakening. The way I thought was the Canadian Labor Congress, mm-hmm. uh, labor schools. So I went in two thousand. That was uh, a four-week university-level course to train, you know, working activists in unions and and train them in kind of the bigger picture you know around Mm -hmm. labor law and labor history organizing and that sort of thing yeah so i already understood this connection i thought that was pretty cool and i I never looked at the workplace in the same way since you know with 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 that with that experience so when i when i came here and i saw 
I saw that effort, it really made sense. Mm-hmm. And then I liked the, the idea of bringing working people to, to connect with the university. Yeah. Is there something specific that like stuck with you in that experience that you said changed how you look at like labor, like mentality? Like, is there one? Probably the biggest thing is the idea that, you know, we go to work and and we do these functions and we we know we're going to get paid. And I was in a unionized workplace. It was a highly structured environment. And so you go to the, the labor college and then you find out about they do workplace maps, for instance. This is all pretty yeah. basic stuff, right? But for me, it was all brand new. So where I worked, like, where are the managers? You know, where is the lunchroom? Yeah. Where, where are the various workers stationed? And then we went outside. I, were, I was a technician for Bell. So we weren't inside very much. We were gone, you know, for the day. But that, that's the kind of thing that it's not by accident, in other words. You know, we, like, there's a reason things are structured the way they are. Yeah. And so that, that was a big eye-opener and, and the, so the examination of power and how it's structured and how um, you know the history of the labor movement is coming up against that power and all its various forms to try to gain a piece of the pie you know mm. not just wages but working conditions and having a say in your workplace period yeah well so. and definitely like I mean it's interesting you say like the the whole workplace mapping and maybe that's that's rudimentary or like you know I don't think it is for most no, people, you know, right, even people yeah. who have some working knowledge of, of labor issues or who are even in unions. I don't I think that that's... I don't know what that is, a committed union is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's one of the first things, I mean, this, again, to get your shots ready, this is something we can do a whole episode about, but oh just God. that, that's sort of like, game. yeah, that sort of initial union, uh, when you're, when you're initially organizing in a workplace, uh, one of the first things that you should do as someone who's interested in joining a union is is map out your workplace like in mm-hmm. a physical sense like where where are the offices where people can congregate to talk about things where managers can't hear mm-hmm. where are their cameras where are the bosses hanging out what do they do what does their day look like and you actually map it out and it's it's a really good resource to kind of know you know where can you talk about labor stuff not that you would do that because you're not supposed to do that on the job of course that's right yeah. but uh, you know <laughs> It's good to kind of know that, and, and it's like the first thing you're told to do by union organizers is like understand the the layout of your workplace. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. So in my case, you know, the way I worked, and then moved to Windsor and learned, you know, I have friends that work as everybody does that that works in the uh, automotive, right? So the factories are, mm-hmm. man, like those are complex workplaces, and people mostly just want to go there. I think in my experience, what I've learned, you know, they want to go there, do their thing, and then they're out of there, right? Yeah. So, credos to, uh, you know, people that organize in in the big three or any any place like that. It's a highly structured factory where, you know, it's hard to break off from from the work and have a chance to to talk about other things. You know, like what's what's going on amongst the workers and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. The lunchroom is a, probably a pretty critical place when, yeah, you, when you think of absolutely. it, you know, you think of it as a lunchroom, it's just like, well, there should be a lunchroom, right? But it's yeah. a pretty critical place. In fact, at ArtSite a few years ago, you remember they had that, dis- it was a, uh, an exhibit and it was plexiglass walls and it was the lunchroom. It was the lunchroom, yeah, that's right. And I think yeah. that's what that whole exhibit was all about. That just reminded me of talking about it. Yeah, and it's interesting too as we in 2023 with the more like hybridized work and work you know with with remote work and things like that like the challenges of organizing in a remote workplace because what are you mapping your Mm -hmm. your living room you know what i mean like yeah exactly so that's a it's interesting little twist to it but just to get back to uh, to what we were talking about so dr alan hall who i i i I know or i haven't i haven't seen him in a long time because he's in newfoundland right no then he went to bc and they're retired now oh wow okay yeah i was gonna say yeah yeah but Alan was actually pretty critical in radicalizing me. Uh-huh. When I was a university student as an undergrad, I took a course with him. I forget what the course was called now, but it was a labor studies course. I took it in my second year. And, you know, I came from a union background. Like my, my father was a union member and I kind of knew all that stuff. But he was really good at speaking to like issues that made sense to me as a working class person growing up, but also then having that academic background he was the first person i ever met who connected unionism to marxism for instance he was the person who like really drilled that in yeah and i'd forgotten that he was part of part of whack but that makes total sense because he was totally that guy he was that guy that he was one of the few academics that i've known 
who really took seriously taking academia out into the community and vice versa, right? Because yeah. most of the time, those two worlds are very, very separate places. Exactly. And so, like, Alan was very much about that melding of those two spaces into one and saying, like, no, there's things that these two worlds can offer to each other, uh-huh. which I thought was really great. And <clears throat> I'm trying to think of some names that's not going to work, but um, all the union activists, like, where did they... Nobody... Labor studies is fairly... And it's re, it's necessary for just the reason you said, you know, yeah. collecting, connecting political to activism and, and the idea of worker organizing. But, you know, labor leaders come from the shop floor or wherever, you know, they're... they're Mm-hmm. They're, they're, and they, and they, they, they have to, they're going to get a lesson in their workplace, but they have to go on to, you know, learn about how to organize. This is, what am I trying to say? It's that link of ordinary working people and they're exposed to things they wouldn't have been normally exposed to. Mm-hmm. Theories would have and ideologies. Theories and ideologies and, yeah. and so on, right? And and that's the real danger of unions. Why they it's so necessary to if they can't crush them, then to neuter them. You know, which is what we're seeing now, because mm-hmm. that that's the most dangerous kind of thing for a system that we live in is just ordinary people getting getting radicalized. getting ideas. Yeah, you know, exactly. about <laughs> different ideas. You yeah, know, exactly. ideas they don't like. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, for sure. So so the whack gets born around two thousand six for this and and. It had like a legal-ish connection too, right? Like it wasn't, it was meant so that people could just wander into the storefront and if they had a problem at work, maybe their their employer wasn't paying them or they're getting, you know, abused yeah. by their boss or something like that. They could come in if they didn't know where else to go and there would be somebody there who would be able to like almost be a counselor, like almost talk them through that problem and then say, okay, well, now what are the next steps for you? Like, do you want to take this to the legal route do you want to join the iww and have mm-hmm. them help fight for you like how do you want to do this it was kind of like a like a connection between the resources that are available for workers and letting them know their rights and like actually then going back into the workplace and having some semblance of knowledge on how yeah. to fight those things and in my experience there this was the tricky part because there was no legal representation at the worker center mm-hmm. so there is legal legal windsor law Legal mm-hmm. Assistance Windsor, so th- that was a place we could refer to. Yeah, for instance, or other or other lawyers that we knew were f- on the on the labor side. But uh, in my experience, there, what what happened is that if there were people walking in, or somehow we get in contact with some somebody that was having trouble at work, so it was about uh, maybe doing a, a complaint under the Labor Relations Act. You know, yeah, um, helping them through that. Ministry process. of Labor had an online. By that time, it was online. And then also, it was workers whose language, English wasn't their first language. Yeah. And and if it wasn't that, it, it was a combination of that and just being uncomfortable doing anything with the government, doing anything online maybe. Mm-hmm. And so just walk them through doing a, a labor claim, you know, yeah. and following through on that process. And so that doing that was hopefully going to educate workers that look this is this exists for you to use you know and not only that there's an appeal process if if you've if you lose your claim on the first shot then there's an appeal process it can it can go on to a a final decision mm. and i think a lot of people were it was an eye opener i think and i hope for for them yeah. so there was that aspect of just working with the system and then there was the other i know we took an action at a place it was a parts company where they What's the, they powder sprayed some part, you know, for, yeah. a, they were supplier. a third tier supplier or something. Yeah. And they were mostly racialized women. It was Vietnamese, Arabic workers, which is also a ploy that's used to keep mm-hmm. people from being able to communicate with each other. And yeah. so they were, they were going to get their wages cut by $3 an hour and, and they could make a claim for that. So we, we worked on doing that. And all along, every time we came in contact with somebody, it was always the hope then that it, that could be someone that could uh, could Organize. get involved in organizing yeah. in their workplace or getting involved with the IWW. Yeah, we got a number of members in that time. I mean, we weren't really a branch until I think twenty twelve or twenty thirteen, so a little yeah. bit later on in the process. But I mean, we got a number of members from people just calling the whack, getting referred to the whack, and then you saying like, "Hey, 
these folks can help you. And like, we did yeah. all kinds of actions for people at downtown coffee shops. If <laughs> we were particularly bad around that time, I remember like they would, we would often have like baristas walk in the door and, yeah. and be like, you know, my boss hasn't paid me for six months or, mm-hmm. or you know, or ha- has promised he was going to get me that one paycheck, but hasn't done it. And so yeah. we would help them organize. And then we, you know, use the union resources, AKA, the membership who would go and knock on the door of the cafe and say, Hey, we're not going to let anybody in your establishment till you pay this worker. Yeah. You know, and it kind of worked as a, even if the un, if the place isn't unionized, we could still, you know, we, act on bat on their behalf. This was Alan Hall that organized this too, with help from, from people in the worker center and some of his students, but we did flyers for the employers and for the workers mm-hmm. on their, on their rights and responsibilities under the employment standards act. So yeah, things like that too. And you know, there was more than once, several times, you know, somebody would come in and man, you just knew if they were in a unionized workplace, they'd be a steward because they, yeah. they, they wanted to, they knew it was wrong and they wanted to fix it, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and yet they weren't, they didn't have a union in the workplace and it's daunting to even think about trying to get one mm-hmm. going, you know, but uh, that's where people, and in fact, union membership, people got involved in their unions at work because one day they had to file a grievance. Yeah. They, it wasn't on the radar that, gee, once I get my six months in, I want to get involved in the union, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't really work that way. And so it's your first experience with having a problem in the workplace, and then you find out how it works, and you're hooked, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Usually, that are like, okay, here's what you actually do. Yeah. Here's, how, here, here's a, a way to think about these things that leads to action. But it's like, what does what motivates people to to get to that point it's not ideological mm-hmm. you know it's usually oh they're fucked over in some way <laughs> and they need answers and you know like people don't always go to you know seemingly radical conclusions either right away it's you know you try this or that thing and it, it gets to a point where you know some you get pushed over the edge or there's no, no mm-hmm. other recourse right and I don't know. This yeah. is kind of what I was thinking of when you were talking yeah. about that, and like mm-hmm. you know the, the connection between like academia and, and the workplace, right? Is there there are two sides of of the same coin in a lot of ways, like the theory and the and the practice. Yeah, the and, theory and the practice. Yeah. Yeah, and it was really good too. I remember there being bookshelves in the WAC that yeah. were just had some of the most radical literature that I'd ever seen, and I, and I think that a lot of the professors that were involved would donate their like portions yeah. of their book collections yeah. to whack. And so there was just like, you know, multiple walls of bookshelves on either side that just were filled with, you know, all this, all this stuff, like, you know, obviously like the big stuff like Marx and stuff like that. But yeah. I don't know. I can't remember if, if you, if the policy was you could borrow it or not, or you just had to kind of stay in yeah, whack and pe- read, but yeah, people it, would just hang out there and read. That, that would also be really cool. That would be cool. Yeah. Either way. Yeah. And if it never came back, well, you know, they were donated. Yeah, yeah. it was donated. It's, yeah. They need to, you know, books don't do anything sitting on a shelf. They, they mm-hmm. got to be read. So if it's out there, then. Yeah. But I remember just wandering in there, you know, the door would be open and I'd be downtown and I'd just wander in there and there'd be people sitting on the couch reading. You know, it's just like, it's yeah. just like, it was a really, and I miss it now because it's like, when did it, when did it close its doors officially? It was quite a while ago now, right? Oh, 2016 was. Yeah. Because we, we operated from 2009 to 2013 on a shoestring budget and yeah, then I remember that. and then again alan hall he he applied for a trillium grant mm-hmm. never expecting we'd just give it a shot yeah. well here if we didn't get approved for a two hundred sixteen thousand dollar or three over three year <laughs> grant yeah so 2013 was the first time we could actually hire hire someone as an outreach person mm-hmm. and kind of a catch-all term for whatever we could think of for them to do yeah and then I kind of acted as a as a liaison between, um, well, actually, it was in our constitution act as a liaison between as the president of the Windsor Workers Action Center board liaise between the the worker and uh, the board. Mm-hmm. So we had three years of giving it a good shot. Yeah, but uh, we couldn't replicate the funding. Yeah, and then you, you go back. You know, you have that influx of. Of funding and then you're back to where you were it, we just couldn't sustain the space anymore yeah so that's yeah i miss it too i think i got some of that money to make a website at one point if i Could recall be, correctly yeah. i think yeah. during my my super yeah. super broke student days we were able to do some good work with injured migrant workers and and do some uh, i know we had a photographer do 
a whole thing on migrant workers and then there was an exhibit mm-hmm. yeah there was some good stuff that was happening there yeah yeah and then that's it, i just i i've sorely missed that spot since it's been gone and just like that ability to kind of come together and uh-huh. and and you know even if you're just having a shitty day you're just yeah. like i'm gonna go on a whack and hang out there's, some, there's gonna be somebody there who's pretty cool and i can rant to about my work or whatever else and you know you know what it's like when you go to a place like a a place like a, an agency and there's going to be plexiglass and the waiting room and very formal you know and people that came in just the workers that came in they would often comment that they they like the informality of it you know yeah, yeah. so there's a coffee machine in the back you can help yourself to whatever's in the yeah. fridge you know yeah 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 we had a little kitchenette yeah going there yeah. too and then an office at the back so yeah and i can remember like i said before i think maybe this is off mic but we're just like that would be the muster point for all the rallies so you yeah. know you think about these palestinian rallies that we're having now or or you know uh, the the sort of counter protest to this anti-trans nonsense yeah. you know that that would have been where we'd muster where we yeah. bring people in and discuss a plan discuss the routes and it's a safe place inside with locking doors you can leave your bags there and then just walk over to wherever this thing is happening yeah it was instrumental during Occupy Windsor as well. Yeah, we were just, I was just thinking we were talking about that before yeah. we started, and it was everything from a warming station to a place to have a, have a different kinds of meetings, even though there was uh, those big consensus meetings in the big tent there at Occupy yeah, Windsor. That's true. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a great hub to have. Mm-hmm. So, like, recon, it just goes to show when you have something and then it, there's, you know, there's there's funding and energy, and then that kind of dissipates. It, yeah, it's not easy to replicate. Yeah. So that's where we're. I don't I don't want to jump ahead too far, but that's where we're at with you know, people coming together again to reformulate the, the model. Yeah. Well, why don't why don't we get into that? So, I moved back here earlier this year from Halifax, and I think within a couple of months of moving back, you know, our mutual friend Vio had. <laughs> had told me that you know they were like whack was a thing again mm-hmm. and uh, and i know that you and you and your partner murray had like kind of kept it going to some degree after it moved out of that spot on Polisher. is that correct well we we found this space on ottawa street one of these you know the storefront and then the house in behind yeah so we were renting the house and then it was the the <clears throat> global resource center that used to run the Ten Thousand villages store yeah it they they had a desk in there so even even that place the, the store had to go the board couldn't maintain the store anymore yeah man Windsor's lost a lot in terms yeah. of kind of left facilities you know the mm-hmm. the the center for studies and social justice yeah that's gone labor studies gone worker center gone Oper I don't know it's still hanging in there I guess yeah. So yeah, yeah the, we per- had the this... Pergs are still getting getting funding because right. they're more affiliated with the universities. But yeah, yeah. So yeah, we had the space, and the, the worker center was if there was anything going on. But it, it, we had some of the books. Finally, had a space kind of thing too. So yeah, it's right next to Juniper, right? Is that, yeah, that's kind of where you were. On Juniper Street. books on Ottawa yeah. Street. Yeah, yeah. So that you kind of kept it going for a bit on some level. Yeah. But obviously, didn't have the funding or the staffing or anything no. else. It's basically, no. just you and Murray but yeah. doing it right. Yeah. So what what leads to where we are now, where there's a newly constituted board and some plans? Some some new people and renewed energy because the needs obviously always been there, but you know, no worker center. So, yeah, thanks to Vio, that, it was always his. You know, the worker center was always close to his heart. Yeah, and, um, yeah, it was for all of us, for sure. Yeah, and I think uh, he was uh, in it from the beginning. Mm-hmm. He was in labor studies. Mm-hmm. And then there's, you know, <clears throat> new people, uh, Miriam, and there's some I haven't met, and then some that uh, have been around for a long time, like Frank Butler and mm-hmm. and so on. So I, I hope the goal, and I'm just taking a, a spot on the, on the board. I, I don't want to take, I just want to be part of, something and contribute whatever I think I can and and what's needed and otherwise to try try again to you know the work and I kept saying like if if workers don't grab onto this and make it their own then maybe it shouldn't exist you know it 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 can't it can't be forced into being there has to be um there has to be a true organic groundswell from workers themselves to, mm-hmm. to to make it work, to fund it, to give it energy. 
because there's no shortage of issues around workers. There's never not going to be, you know, it doesn't yeah. matter if it's gig work <laughs> or it's all still exploited mm-hmm. labor. The unions themselves are, are fighting their own rear guard actions, you know, like they can barely uh, negotiate agreements for, for the members they do have. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know. If workers can't, and, they, and obviously they are, I think part of what's driving it is what's been seeing in the United States and to some degree in Canada, like the, the, the movement with Starbucks and, yeah. and Amazon to organize, right? To br- mm-hmm. People are learning that those easy-to-get packages that miraculously show up on your doorstep <laughs> occur not by magic, but by yeah. workers making it go, right? Yeah, so, by a Rube Goldberg machine of human uh, suffering. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, so people are starting to see and hear about what's, what's all behind all this, right? And the tech billionaires, and they're, they're all nutcases, right? They, they, yeah. they're, they're, they're not very socialized people, and they've got a lot of money and influence only because they have a lot of money. So it's the workers, again, that make it... I always wanted that to be the slogan, workers make it go. Mm-hmm. You know, so we're all in it together. And if we, and I know so many people, you know, they, it's always about the price, even well-paid auto workers, and they still got to get it from Amazon, you know, like, because yeah. it's just the price. And I try to say, you know, what's the real price though? That, you know, it's, it's, it can't just be the cheapest thing. It's got to yeah. be, you got to look at what's happening and why. You know, but it's hard to break that. Yeah, we're all consumers first now. You know. Yeah, and We've been we, made we it mentioned consumers. we mentioned in the last episode that like it's it's difficult to imagine a world without Amazon at this point, and so maybe yeah. the, maybe the maybe what we do is it becomes a nationalized thing, and then with unionized workers and yeah. all that sort of yeah. thing, because then that lessens that suffering. People actually get paid, and they're not understaffed. And uh-huh. well, yeah, that's the thing is like when people are. Like, I feel like what's been happening, at least since I've been, like, politically aware in the world, is, like, people are just getting pushed so hard, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in a way, it's, like, can I ask, you know, a struggling family to, like, boycott Amazon or boycott this? or yeah. When they, they're having a hard time putting bread on the table, right? And it's, let alone the workers there. Mm-hmm. So it, I totally agree. Like, I, th- I think the 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 direction that we need to go in with these things is like claiming them for ourselves and saying like oh this is a great technology this makes the this in theory should make the world better why doesn't it make the world better well because of ultimately i mean the system of private ownership and like the fact that you know working people create everything in the world you know these tech billionaires they don't create anything no yeah literally nothing they hire people to create things and they take the credit for it Jeff Bezos doesn't do anything. Elon Musk doesn't do anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We do. So it's like we should have a say in what happens with our labor. Instead of like forsaking that and being like, okay, like this this whole system needs to go away. We should we should claim it. We should nationalize mm-hmm. it. It should be under workers' control, right? Man. And that's like, I think that's what's happening in a way. Like I, I think especially with like the younger generation since 2008, since Occupy, you know, and just the COVID crisis, you know, like people are at the limit and mm-hmm. I don't know, I mean, like having even like this, this center opening again is a huge step yeah. towards that because there's no working class spaces. No, I was not aware this existed until like Travis mentioned bringing you on and I, cause I was just blown away at the fact that mm. like there was a, you know, just a, a space for working people in, mm-hmm. in Windsor that is for that and for those interests like there are so many like quote-unquote activist spaces but yeah they're all either academic or they there's nothing that's like class-based like mm-hmm. that's that's what's missing right yeah yeah and, and you look at the places where that does exist like in halifax for instance they've got this incredible space called radstorm which is i believe they rent the space which is remarkable but it's right on Gottingen in the north end in a heavily gentrified area of halifax and you know, they've managed to make a go of it by having a space for community action for workers. And it's, it reminded me a lot of whack. you know, more people involved in it with Radstorm. And they have like Bra- Brad, all eight, Radstorm, Radstorm, like Radical, Radstorm, like Radstorm right, yeah. right, right. and like, you know, they had, you know, all ages show like music shows there. And it, it was like a 
combined <laughs> venue community space. It had a kiln in the basement, so artists could come and hang out and like Man. make stuff and paint and you know it just it was just a place that was always open. You know it was open nine a.m. to nine p.m. every single day and, Man, see, and you just exact. have that space. You know and we're, we're, what's the funding model? I you know it's a good that's maybe a future episode. Yeah. Have somebody from Red Storm on because I, I wow, did meet a few sure. people that were involved with it and like just incredibly dedicated activists and it remind like I say it reminded me a lot of Whack and like the sort of central point like oh are we going to have a meeting to discuss you know tenant union organizing in Halifax well Red Storm just have it there you know like it was there was no question that's where you were going to go. See this is the like through all that uh, you know 2016 and beyond like, uh, there was two things uh, the idea you were mentioning about you know tech work and uh, and we're talking about Amazon and everything but the platform cooperativism was something I got really it was very interesting about worker control about these you know about app development or, or like in other words to displace these millionaires that managed to get a lock on a on a technological niche and then next thing you know they own everything and the other thing was kind of like dual organizing where, you know, the worker center is not just about work, but about the neighborhood mm-hmm. and, and what goes on in the neighborhood. Because, you know, this idea of workers serving workers, you know, workers go home, where do they go? They go to the neighborhoods where they interact with their, their neighbors and in different ways. So the, the work life is just one aspect of a, of a human being. And mm-hmm. there's also cultural you know where where people live and these are the things i was hoping that the worker center could expand on you know yeah and then art site was right across the street yeah you know and uh the capitol theater we were kind of right embedded where yeah <laughs> we're kind of the and and the fog lounge you know like yeah. these were an art site specifically because it it's i think it remains to this day an artist run yes gallery yeah, yeah which yeah. is like the same idea of like, yeah i don't know I, I was just thinking like because i was in a discussion on like harm reduction earlier and like what, what i think of what i think of like that type of thing is the the slogan like nothing about us without us mm-hmm. and i think that's like could so easily be applied to like working class issues too like how do you how do you prevent things from being like too academic Mm-hmm. or anything or like top down just like explaining to people i mean paul you you mentioned earlier like the the more working people are like actually involved in this thing like that's that's what makes it strong right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's like i yeah like getting people to take real a real sense of ownership yeah of like these institutions like that that's what makes them as awesome as they are do you Not- see that happening or well, nothing drives me more crazy than when people say it's like family at work. Yeah. You know, because you're just <laughs> giving away all your power. Away. Yeah, you're just giving away all your power. And, you know, you, you, you need ownership over the work and ownership over what's really going on here, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and unions are, as they're constituted in our society, are but a first step toward that, right? Really, like, yeah. Even the best ones, right? Yeah. Even like the, the UAW, the Unifor, like the big moneyed deep-pocketed unions are a first step toward workers actually taking back what's theirs and, and not and then it, it stops there it stops it, there yeah of course you've got the union it now it's a self-replicating thing that simply yeah. has to exist right like mm-hmm. uh, so many working people have gravitated to you know their national reps or you know reps in the in the in the union itself or whatever all the different functions that there are so it's not that you want to... It's like charity, right? The idea of a soup kitchen is to put itself out of business. Yeah. Like, because you, you want to have people have enough to eat. Yeah. So if, if unions represent worker power, then, you know, worker control should be the next step. So really, you know, would unions ever n- never exist? Maybe not, but like reclaiming real power in the workplace where or, workers own the means of production, that's the goal, I, I would think. Mm-hmm. Or I, right. ideally, you know, I mean, that's how what do you unions make that like started as, right? Yeah, yeah. that's kind of like the that was the idea, and then something got lost, like in the way. Like, mm-hmm. always part of it is like the Red Scare and McCarthyism. The yeah. other side of it is like the New the, Deal, the bureaucratization. <laughs> yeah, the New Deal, the mm-hmm. bureaucratization of mm-hmm. unions, which I think is like one of the major issues. Is like you have a lot of times like more radical layers who want to go farther, want to do more radical actions, wildcat strikes, whatever, right? But the kind of the, the, this is more prevalent in like unionized workplaces than non-union, like often like the union bureaucracy becomes like the biggest fetter yeah. on like 
actual organizing. So it's crazy. Like a lot of the biggest workers' actions have been coming from non-unionized places. Yeah, where like Starbucks. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Where yeah. far more radical ledge to those those unions than than you know say the UAW. You know, right? Because mm-hmm. there's no tradition of like careerism and right. all yeah. of these things. And it was, cl- I mean, that's part of labor history, at least in Canada, where, you know, the employer said, look, man, we can't have strike after, st- yeah. you know, this is post-World War II, you know, strike after, so we got to figure something out if we're going to make any money. So it, it it just became common sense then to allow unionization and then however it occurred, like there's many books written about it, but then mm-hmm. the, 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 it, it, you know, the trade-off was, you're going to have a collective agreement, so no strike while the collective agreement is in force. Yeah, the RAND formula. The Canada RAND formula. Too, yeah, so dues, then that, that dues check off. Everybody has to be a member of the union, but that comes with you playing by the rules, never that's right. breaking them. So that yeah. it became bureaucratized. That mm-hmm. you know we'll we'll just uh, we just have to play it safe, and then hope for the best when there's bargaining. And then that's why the difference is you know when people look at Europe and they they don't understand and they're they're out in the streets and it's yeah. because well they never had that labor history that we we had here mm-hmm. yeah and, like i know and, france for instance and you know i'm probably gonna get this wrong so if, if you know but like in france it's a whole different setup right like mm-hmm. you're a member of one union you know all the workers are a member of one union that yeah. have bargaining power together across industries rather than being individually unionized at your workplace you know it's much more of a syndicalist style model right. which is why you get these huge eruptions of protest in france because one thing, one like you, you want to raise, you know, retirement age from sixty-two to sixty-four. We're going to burn down Paris, right? Because because <laughs> everybody everybody's a member of the same collective unit at that point. But for the most part, I know there's like fractions in it, but sure, yeah, and and that you avoid this ridiculous fate that we have here, where you have one local union on strike, yeah. and and they're facing off against the entire capitalist militaristic system. Yeah, all on their own, right? And because where's the CLC? Where's the OFL? There's there's yeah. all these federated uh, in each province, and then the CLA, CLC across the country. But they're all they're all neutered, you know. Yeah. They, well, and no like, wasn't the was the, was it the CLC and the Commonwealth Federation that formed the NDP? Yeah. 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 So there you go. Like, what's the best way to neuter a political movement? Right? Turn it into a political party that now is, <laughs> you know, as liberal as all the other ones. So yeah. Cause yeah. It, it expunged the radical base over the decades. Yeah. Such as yeah. it was. And actually I, irony of ironies. I just at Biblioasis books, they're featuring mm-hmm. a new biography by Ed Broadbent, who's, you know, kind of, kind of a Canadian hero, but they're going to be talking about, social democracy and that that whole that mm-hmm. whole history that he goes back to you know but yeah what's i mean i i'd be interested i, I mean he got us the only ndp liberal coalition of sorts back in the 70s that, mm-hmm. that gained huge improvements and uh, unemployment insurance and all that good stuff. But, and healthcare uh, too, right? Is that healthcare. Right? Healthcare is before, but it improved healthcare. Yeah, a bit. but social democracy is—it's finished, right? It, yeah. It, it mm-hmm. was its history is one of making accommodations with capital to get what what we could out of it, and it had a boom post-war, right? But now it's you know it's hard to tell it mm-hmm. apart from from a liberal kind of thing. Yeah, well, I think social democracy is it is dead, and mm-hmm. I think we need to just like let it be dead. Exactly, yeah. that, that's the lesson right we, we spoke yeah. about this on like our, our liberalism episode where we talked about like the new deal and just this idea of making concessions with capitalism like you know to to get to the point where you could have concessions from the capitalist class like necessitates a huge level of like bargaining power and an organization so it's like you basically have to get to the point where you have like revolutionary power and when you Mm -hmm. you can threaten the capitalist system to be able Mm -hmm. to get crumbs off the table and like the the tragedy is they stopped there and they they got to that point and they just took they took the crumbs when they could have taken the pie so it's like right we can't do that again (laughs) i think that should be the lesson right there's like the the new the green new deal all these things Mm. you know and it's like no, the, the lesson of the New Deal was not not keep capitalism in place. It's get to that point and workers, you know, the whole thing sees the means of production, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, the New Deal and, and, and that sort of post-war social democratic boom was a compromise, right? And like, yeah. 
and it and it was a compromise by the most powerful wing of the labor movement right the white male you know already kind of middle class members of that of that, uh, that, that was, movement that was the promise and you... they sold everybody else down the river yeah. you know and and so it's like that that's the other thing is that any kind of you know if we look back on that history and we learn from it it's that you know we can't divide we can't divide the working class we have to unite as one movement that mm-hmm. can actually fight for the end of capitalism yeah. yeah it's like that whole idea of like the labor aristocracy um yeah as as someone like lennon would you know yeah. call it but you know it, it, i feel like <laughs> i don't even know if it's possible anymore like we're talking about just the the level of of precarity that workers face the 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 horrible state that capitalism is in where there's just crisis after crisis after crisis and there's like no way out and it really feels like like even the 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 elite like don't know a, a way out of this crisis mm-hmm. at this point building, right now the solution bunkers. is electric vehicles <laughs> yeah exactly. yeah we'll like just build a billion electric vehicles yeah. and everything will be good yeah and then we're going to go to war with bolivia for lithium you know lithium. <laughs> like, no, that's what i keep saying on, on twitter is where i'm mostly at and it's like yeah, wait till lithium wars begin wait till they go after the ring of fire up in northern ontario yeah and come head to head with it'll be a another tar sand scenario you know yeah so. yeah that's the thing like things are coming to a head right mm-hmm. the, this idea of like the labor aristocracy the new deal all these things like i think they've reached their their limit and we're just seeing a, a revitalization like of you know a more like old school class struggle kind of model what's old is new again yeah the exactly <laughs> Yeah, so so the the getting back it we, we, where were we we tangenting, but it's not it's <laughs> yeah. not actually a tangent because it is very relevant to like I, I just really I was like and I know Vio and I have had you know hundreds of conversations over the years about how like yeah okay it's great to organize it's great to do all this stuff but if you don't have a place if you don't have a physical yeah. space that is separate from capital is separate from your home is separate from all of that that it's really hard to 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 build any kind of organization and kind of any kind of movement yeah. And so, like, the Windsor Workers Action Center, you know, I get why there is suddenly this drive to, like, bring it back and to make it relevant again. Because I think that where do we do that now? You know, like, there is no place. You know, it used to be churches and union halls. You know, now what? Now what is it, you know, that people can get together from the community? And, you know, so I think that WAC existing again is a really great thing. And so where where are you at right now in terms of, in terms of that, that process? So you mentioned that there's a board. A lot um, of it is the nuts and bolts, like just going over the the bylaws and yeah. the, the the constitution that we had. It, it's just to make sure it's kind of up to date. Yeah, and yeah. and maybe some some changes to to wording and that sort of thing. So the, those kinds of nuts and bolts things that need to be done, and then fundraising. You know, because mm-hmm. it's going to take it's going to take some some cash to find to find a place. Yeah. Well, hopefully the unions get involved in that end of thing, but I know there's yeah. always been like a weird relationship there, but I know they're, they're the deep pockets of the, of the working class movement. Well, well, so this is why like if worker, this is where I was coming from. Cause I have to admit that I, I became very cynical and disillusioned and, and then I, I find myself being guilty because you know, I, that takes privilege to be able to feel that way. And, uh, you know, it's hopeless what have you. So but I, I think I was being realistic when I said that if if workers aren't going to come forward and and throw in like ten bucks a month on a continuing yeah. basis or whatever they can afford to build it from the ground up, then w- w- what is it just going to be fundraising and trying to trying to get, get grants once get in a grants while. and yeah. get uh, and it was a fluke that we got that grant yeah. like because Trillium rejigged their whole system. Irony of ironies, they they let go people at Trillium that had been there for 10, 20 years, and they came to the Worker Center because they were going to launch a lawsuit <laughs> against their termination. You know, so they we'd never get that grant again. Let's put it that way. Yeah, especially in a conservative. We uh, got to be self-supporting. That's yeah, yeah that's right. We talk yeah, we talk about it all the time. We have to build our own institutions, yeah. right? And it has yeah. to they have to be outside of the existing ones. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that that's my I. I I, I'm willing to help out in any way I can to to try to make that happen. So yeah. Uh, otherwise, then the, 
it requires some other approach or or maybe there's something about Windsor or I don't know. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, you mentioned that. So how can people get involved right now? Like what is, what is the way there, there's a website? Yeah. There's a website with a really easy to, uh, to use uh, function for, for, for giving, you know, contributing something cash wise. And uh, also on the website, cause I, I, there's an email address too, but uh, I think it's just Windsor Workers Action Center at gmail.com. Okay. Be the simplest thing to do to, to contact somebody. And uh, if at all interested in finding out what's going on, and it, it honestly isn't just about if you have a problem at work. Right. That's sort of an entry point thing, you know? Yeah. If you have any ideas about, and there's tons of examples of worker centers around the world, in North America, anyways. Mm-hmm. The, the idea of, you know, cultural, social, what can you do in your neighborhood, tenant rights, mm-hmm. all that can be an umbrella under the worker center in Windsor, you know? Yeah. So bring not just your 10 bucks a month, but your ideas and, and though that you're willing to work on a consensus basis with others, that this yeah. isn't a power trip, this isn't about um, necessarily setting things on fire, but certainly up to and including because, you know, we have powerful forces arrayed against us. And so your, your creative minds, a desire to, to be, you know, the leaders that we are looking for, but without the necessary, without the ego, you know, that, mm-hmm. that you want to, that you want to dominate. That's, that's not what we're about either. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a consensus-based organization hearing all voices with, with a like-mindedness that is justice, you know. Mm-hmm. For me personally, it's you know socialism from the bottom, like working class secular socialism, where it's non-hierarchical, you mm-hmm. know, all and all the complicated issues of the day of of gender and race that's tearing us apart. Can, can we find a way to put that under the umbrella of a working class movement? You know, where yes, we recognize those those barriers because they're made barriers for us but how, how can we transcend uh, the things that have divided us for for decades yeah that we overcome them and not be susceptible to being torn apart from outside forces based on 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 these important issues that are very real mm-hmm. and how how can we learn the history of for instance you know white male union leaders like seeing the golden era of the two car garage you know yeah. the middle class existence and leaving everybody else behind that that's not necessarily their vision like we want to yeah. avoid that yeah you're trying to trying to build something that's that goes further than that yeah yeah mm-hmm. you know broad-based all-inclusive <laughs> i think that point about like you know class being something that transcends like racism sexism you know all these other like oppressive byproducts is mm-hmm. is really important in, in these conversations and that that seems to be the thing that's always like left out in like discussions on things like racism and and all these things like it's you know the the fact that like these are working class issues are that's never part of the conversation right and mm-hmm. you know, i feel like it's at least in my opinion it's probably the most important aspect of it because you know where do these things come from right yeah in, in, in large part of the first place why were we divided in the first place? yeah exactly <laughs> in the, along you, these other lines how, how do you see that like developing in terms of you know your organization and just the role that working people or working class organizations could be playing in like the fight against against like oppression in that way you know i'll just throw it in there like with the organizing around the Windsor for Palestine and and some of the meetings and you know I'm an older white male and uh, you know we sat around our living room today and there was some young Muslim guys and another white woman and my wife and I and these two incredible 23 year old young women you know in university biology I I forget what the degrees were and Mm -hmm. highly knowledgeable and I'm thinking how can we let ourselves get caught up in, in what the religion is and, and what they look like and how they dress when there's all kinds of compassionate, caring, intelligent, articulate people in our community. That the only way we're meeting is because of this disaster yeah. in Gaza. And, and so that's the gift 
if there's any gift out of it all, is that we can't we can't let this kind of slip away. Yeah, use it to build build it, something. Yeah, yeah. That, that's enduring and long lasting. You yeah. Know? And so that's I find that just in, incredible, and and it's happening in Windsor because of the diversity of of the city. You know, and mm-hmm. we we need to build on that as a worker center too and learn from it. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, it's it's got to be possible to, you know, transcend all this, these ways that we're divided, when we have so much really in common. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, the uh, the Windsor Workers Action Center is it the, uh, what is the website, for that? Sorry. Is it just WWAC, or is it the full? I think it's Windsor. Is it Windsor Workers Action Center CA? Is that this one? I yes. Think- Answer my own question. Okay, good. <laughs> that makes you a great host. Do <laughs> so this should, program by yourself. Should have had it beforehand. Oh. Yeah, WindsorWorkersActionCenter.ca, and and for those, uh, Windsor tends to do the American spelling on things, so it's the Canadian spelling of center with the R E yes. instead of the E R. Yes, that's how you can always tell it apart. Yeah. And I looked up Radstorm. They have a Facebook page, so I want to check that place. Yeah, out. Yeah, definitely do. Radstorm yeah. is like that like i had i have some great things to say about halifax and some not so great things to right, say about halifax right. that's in the great things category yeah. there, there's a real dedicated group of folks there who are you know again dedicated to having that space for people uh so yeah i look forward to that you don't have a space yet but uh, oh. but that's where the the fundraising is is headed toward and again if you want to get involved reach out windsorworkersactioncenter.ca you can find out how to contact people there exactly, yeah you find out how to donate you if you want to you know this again like 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 you said this is this isn't you're not trying to exclude anybody from this conversation, right? That's if right. you're a working class person, you are welcome. Exactly. So, you know, get involved and, and, yeah. and you know, want to be a board member, whether you, you want to just do, you know, help them with actions, help them with fundraising, whatever. We need the energy of the people that care about where they live and where they work mm-hmm. and, e- and each other. So sure. if that's you, sure, throw in 10 bucks a month, but we need, we need you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, thanks, Paul. This has been amazing. Yeah, it's great. We'll, Thank we'll you wrap both. it up there and, and uh, we'll have you back on when, when things are, are getting a little more rounded into shape and, and uh, yeah, you're, you're great to talk to about a hundred different things. So I'm sure we can have, yeah. have a reason to, you too, to have guys. you back yeah. on. Yeah, for sure. All right. We're not going to do the okay by this time. Yeah, we were really <laughs> We're letting it go. We are now in the process of defeating the radical left.